people follow after Jesus for many different reasons. And I'm sure you uh, have your own reasons for why you may have began following Jesus Christ. Or maybe why, if you can remember to that day when you started seeking after Jesus, uh, why you did so. Uh, perhaps you started following Jesus because of something that Jesus would provide for you. That something you, that was going on in your life, something that you felt was missing. Uh, I remember uh, I felt like something was missing. And I remember that going to church, thinking that going to church uh, was some, could add something to my life. There's something that was missing. And all of us ha- are looking for something when we come, start coming to church or we, or we go to come seeking after Christ. The reasons are varied. But there is often one reason to follow Jesus that I would imagine the majority of us do not think of when we first begin seeking him. And it is, if you're a follower of Christ, the most obvious reason, but it's usually not the first reason. And that reason is because Jesus can forgive sins. Think back to that day. Was that the reason why you began seeking Jesus, opening up that Bible, looking to him, going to church? Most of it was just, well, for many of us, we're just looking for something. We're looking for house for uh, a uh, for some uh, psychological, emotional need. Maybe we felt lonely. Uh, we were wrestling with self-esteem issues. We were lack confidence. Maybe we're looking for health. We're looking for perhaps success. We're looking for connections. Uh, maybe we're wrestling with issues or, or uh, brokenness in our home or or with in our work or in our school and our various relationships. Maybe some of us that thought that, well, uh, if I follow after Jesus, I like to follow after him because he affirms all my political preferences, perhaps. But whatever your initial reasons, most of us probably did not follow Jesus or begin seeking after Jesus because he, is, he can forgive sins, Right? But that is the most critical reason of all, as follows of Christ, as we've been reminded by communion today, that Jesus came to die on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And that's what our passage does for us today. Our passage today reminds us of how important it is to why Jesus came. And it's the important, most important reason why we follow Jesus, why we would seek after Jesus. There are many reasons that might lead us to Jesus at first, but before, uh, be, but before the, the end of our lives, we must come to that realization that we follow Jesus because he alone can forgive sins. His healings that we're going to look at today, there are going to be two healings in this passage, two miraculous healings. They, they're, they're just not, they, don't, they exist not just to show us how awesome Jesus is and how he can heal diseases, though he can, but they're designed to demonstrate to us that Jesus has the power to forgive sins. And what's more, we find that this is what was his priority in ministry. Just think about all the things that Jesus did, all the things he could have he cured diseases, cast out de- demons, taught, and, uh, taught uh, the crowds, the masses, uh, fed people, he uh, ministered to people who, were, who, were, uh, who had lost loved ones. But of all the things he did, the one thing he came for, the primary thing that he came for was to come and die 
provide, to provide forgiveness of our sins. The Gospel of Luke was written so that you may know the exact truth about the things that you have learned. In this section of the Gospel, we're learning about Jesus' Galilean ministry. And though Jesus is able to cast out demons, cure diseases, he is very clear on his purpose. Remember uh, Mark chap- Luke chapter 4, verse 43, he said, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Jesus was sent for the purpose of proclaiming the kingdom of God, and particularly how one can enter the kingdom of God. And how can one enter the kingdom of God is through forgiveness of sins. And so now in today's text, we're going to observe these two uh, healing miracles. Jesus had already done a whole bunch of healing miracles, but we're going to learn two more. Two healing miracles, uh, they are almost similar. They have a lot of similarities in them, uh, but, uh, and that is uh, purposeful. Luke puts them there. In chronologically, they're act kind of almost out of order. If you, I, you take Matthew as being uh, the one that generally puts Jesus' life and ministry in the most chronological order, uh, you'll find that these two are not right next to each other in Matthew. They're, but yet, uh, Luke puts them here together uh, as to, to show us uh, a thematic point. And that point is that Jesus has the power to forgive sins. Okay? So we're going to look at that. So this is why Jesus came. First of all, let's take a look. Number one, uh, Luke records for us this first healing miracle that displays Jesus' power to forgive sins. And that's in the story of a healing of a leper. And what we're going to do is we're just going to walk through the story and just kind of tell the story as we go. Because the story basically tells us itself. Just... So as you look at the passage, verse 12 through 16, this healing of the leper, we notice we can make four observations about Jesus. We learn four things about him. First of all, we learn about Jesus' power in verse 12. While he, was, uh, while he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Verse 12 gives us the setting. Luke's quite general and just is just in one of the cities, one of the cities that Jesus went to, pre- to preach the kingdom of God. And it is on this occasion in one of those cities, a leper comes and approaches Jesus. And leprosy, and this is... Uh, this is according to Dr. Lou. He's a medical doctor. He actually uses a more specific term. This man was covered with leprosy. The word leprosy uh, was used in Scripture to refer to a variety of different skin diseases. But in this case, because of the, the covering of with leprosy, the, the totality of the leprosy, it is very likely that Luke is referring to the actual disease of leprosy. And I won't go into the details of what that was, but um, you can just look at Wikipedia or, or for that kind of information. But in the Old Testament law, the leprosy was so common that uh, there were actually two chapters in Leviticus, Leviticus 13 and 14, that were given to for the regulation of those who had, uh, or had any leprosy. A leper, according to those, those instructions of Leviticus, was to basically have his clothes torn. He was to have his head uncovered. He was to be live outside, away, uh, outside the camp of Israel, basically outside the city, away from the people. And wherever he went, this is the, most, the one that would stand out the most, wherever he went, he would have to cover his mouth and cry, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine having to do that for all your life? Along with these requirements, biblical requirements, the tradition of the rabbis added much many others. For instance, the lepers had to remain at least 100 cubits, that's a cubits 18 inches, 100 cubits away if they were upwind of someone, and four cubits away if they were downwind, so very specific. 
it was considered, it was taught that it was illegal to even greet a leper. Josephus, the Jewish historian, records that lepers were treated basically, quote, as if they were in effect dead men. Lepers were dead men walking. They were men and women who basically were, were basically, for all practical purposes, their life was over. They were just simply waiting to die. This was the life of this leper. And you can imagine, as the word spreads about who Jesus is, Jesus, there's this man named Jesus of Nazareth who can heal sins, who can, or who can heal diseases. And so this man desperately goes and seeks out Jesus. He approaches, falls on his face before Jesus. He comes, approaches him. He, he violates all the traditions. And he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. His statement reflects two things. Number one, he is uncertain whether Jesus is willing to heal him. If you are willing. Secondly, though, he is certain that Jesus can heal him. You can make me clean, is what he says. Literally, he says, he says, you have the power to cleanse me. This way, notice he uses the word cleanse, not heal. Because the word cleanse is used with regards to healing from leprosy because leprosy was considered an uncleanness in the Old Testament. It was, and any uncleanness was basically a symbol of defilement or particularly sin. So to be cleansed of his leprosy, is the, is the same as to be healed, but underlying that is this, under, is this belief that one is really is, is cleansed from sin, the sin that would lead to leprosy. For even when healed of leprosy, sacrificial offerings would have had to have been offered, according to Leviticus uh, 14, for the, the, uh, the, the cleansing to be recognized. The leper recognizes Jesus' power here to, to, to cleanse him from leprosy. The question really is, is Jesus willing? And praise God Almighty, Jesus is willing. Look at the next verse. Jesus is pity for this leper in verse 13. And he stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I'm willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus is willing. Jesus says, basically it's just one word, I will, I, I am willing in answer to the uncertainty, Jesus responds with a certain statement, a definite statement. I am willing. He's willing to heal this leper because Jesus has pity and compassion upon him. In fact, Mark's parallel account of this in Mark chapter 1, verse 41, tells us that Jesus was moved with compassion. He's moved with, with compassion and pity for this leper. He sees his desperation. He sees what he struggled with all his life. And so Jesus stretches out his hand and touches the man. He touches a leper, a person with a, a, a disease, a skin disease that if one could touch would, could possibly affect you. According to the law, to touch a leper, in fact, was, to make, was then to become ceremonially unclean as well. But this mattered not to Jesus. Think about it. Jesus... Uh, as we've so far studied, he could heal by simply, simply his word. He doesn't have to touch this man, but he does. His act of touch, and why does he do that? Because it's a part of his, his compassion. By touching this man who was untouchable, Jesus showed him the compassion and love of God. Moreover, Jesus, in touching this leper, 
Notice he doesn't become unclean, but rather the leper becomes clean. Because why? Because Jesus is the source of all cleansing from sin. That's who Jesus is. Jesus heals. He heals, by the way, he heals with his word. He says, be cleansed. <laughs> and he was cleansed immediately. It's immediately the leprosy left him. Jesus' healing is, is always instantaneous and complete. There's one exception. It took two parts, and we'll get there eventually. But right before everyone's eyes, the man's leprosy disappeared. The man was healed because Jesus had compassion on him who was willing and was willing him to be healed. And the, but this then leads to a third observation of the, in this healing of a leper about Jesus. Jesus is proof in verse 14. Jesus is proof. And he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, if you were this leper, you can imagine his overwhelming joy, right? He is, just, he is basically condemned to death. He was good as dead, but now all of a sudden he's alive again. He's now able to, he, can, he has the hope of returning to society. He has the hope of going back to seeing his family that he's been separated from all, this time, all these years. And whereas once he had to cry out, unclean, unclean. Now he's probably jumping up and down. He's saying, I'm clean, I'm clean. So it's surprising then that Jesus gives him this instruction and orders him to tell no one. You know, if Jesus wants everyone to know that he is the Christ, here is a marketing opportunity that cannot be missed, right? I would, I would jump on that all over this. I would, you know, use this. This would be headlines, you know, get a publication out, news release, press release. You know, we just, this is, this is something you build on, right? For sure, right? Because if I healed somebody, you know we'd tell it on the news right now and so that everybody would come. <laughs> it would be my healing ministry for sure. Instead, he, he does his little, don't tell anyone. But instead, go to the priest. The, this is the priest that's on duty in Jerusalem. And show yourself to him. This was, of course, done according to the law of Moses, according again, Leviticus uh, 14, 13, 14. A cleansed leper was to be inspected by the priest before he could be basically declared clean. And then they would be given a period of eight days where over a period of eight days there would be uh, sacrifices and offerings made as, a, as a, the ceremony to cleanse uh, the one who was healed of leprosy. But Jesus, notice Jesus commanded the leper to go to do this as a what? As a testimony, as a witness, as a, this word could be translated as a proof, as a proof. To whom? To them? It's basically to the priests, to the religious leaders of the day. This man appearing at the temple, you can imagine, offering his sacrifices for his cleansing would have immediately alerted because the religious leaders of Israel that something unique was taking place out in Galilee. They would have, over eight days as they're examining him, they're, they're, they're taking offerings. They said, how did this happen again? Do you tell me? Because why? Because this was not common. If you look in the Old Testament scriptures, healing from leprosy was not an everyday thing. It was a rare thing. In fact, remember back in chapter 4, verse 27, <clears throat> Jesus had pointed out that there were many lepers in Israel in the times of Elisha the prophet, and yet none of them were cleansed, <clears throat> but only one, Naaman the Syrian. Now one who was greater than Elisha had arrived, and the result is not just one leper being cleansed, but a whole mess of lepers being cleansed. 
communities of lepers, all who would come to him would be healed of their leprosy. And as the priests would each observe these lepers, if they would obey Jesus' commands and go to Jerusalem and show themselves priests, then each and every one would, over a period of eight days, be a testimony, a proof that Jesus can forgive sins and can, has the power to heal. Every declaration of cleanness would be a testimony that Jesus is the source of cleansing. And so we move on to verse 15 to 16, the priority of Jesus, Jesus' priority. And so he gives this instruction to this leper, and the leper, uh, well, um, whether he goes or not, we're, we're never told. No. <clears throat> but he, in, according to Mark, he doesn't obey about not telling anyone else. He goes around telling everybody else what happened. Anyways, Jesus' priority. But the news about him was spreading even farther, even far, uh, and large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness to pray. Because Mark tells us that because the, this leper does not obey Jesus' prohibition to tell others, uh, the result is that crowds begin following Jesus everywhere. They, the large crowds, were, and just this explains these large crowds gathering to hear him. And it was so much that, the Jew, that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city. Remember Jesus' purpose? I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also. Jesus' plan was to go to the cities because that's where the people are at. But now because of this, this, uh, the word being spread out, he couldn't even go to the cities Instead, he stayed out in the unpopulated areas. But of course, you know, the word had already spread. And everyone that was looking for help, for healing, for wisdom, for truth, for purpose, for light, they were going and flocking to Jesus. Jesus was the the most popular man in the days in Jerusalem. And everyone, his, his popularity increasing meant that these crowds gathered to him. But though many crowds are coming to him, notice Jesus makes a priority in his life. In verse 16, he makes a priority to pray. More important than doing good deeds or even teaching God's word, for Jesus is spending time with his Father, communing with his Father. He sets an example for all of us who serve the Lord. Because it is in his as as all these demands come on, it is in time spent with God the Father that keeps him. Focus on his priority. You know, a lot of times we get distracted in life. We've all, and I think it's all happened to all of us, is especially uh, you get to live in that season of life where it's really busy. And maybe it's at work or the demands of home or demands of family or demands of ministry even. But when you focus on that time with God, it helps us to remember what is most important. It helps us to prioritize what we are about. And Jesus was through by spending time with the Father. Remember what he was about. He remembered. He 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 calls and that he is here to to provide forgiveness of sins through the proclamation as he proclaims the kingdom of God. Salvation is by the forgiveness of sins, and that is why Jesus came. And we see this uh, further kind of brought out in the second healing, uh, the second healing as well. But let me uh, before I move on to that. I just want to kind of make the tie-in for us. This is the healing of a leper, a healing of a disease. But it's Jesus' miraculous healing is not just a demonstration of his power over disease. It is that, at least. But Jesus did not come primarily to deliver us from disease. Jesus came to deliver us 
from sin. Like the miracle and like the miracle of catching the great, the, the, the huge amount of fish was a symbol <clears throat> that disciples would become fishers of men. So the healing of leprosy here is a symbol that Jesus comes to cleanse us from sin. For all of us are like lepers. All of us are like dead men walking. All of us are really separated from God. All of us can do nothing and are helpless in our sin. But Jesus came to heal us and to make us clean. And he does that by dying in our place. We move on to the next healing, and in the last remaining time we have the healing of the paralytic, the healing of the paralytic. We can make three observations of this healing, uh, very similar kind of observations as we find in in the first healing. But now a a separate occasion takes place, and at the first point, as we make three observations, we can notice Jesus' power as well. Verse 17 of chapter 5, one day he was teaching, and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. Again, the description is very general. This is just one day. Uh, maybe it's the di- same city. Maybe it's a different city. But just one day he was teaching. And there were, notice, uh, Luke points out very specifically who also was there. This is the first the Pharisees, scribes. That's the teachers of the law were there. These are the religious leaders who would basically form the, the, the bulk of Jesus' opposition throughout his ministry. And this was really the beginning of the opposition for Jesus. They had come from every village of Galilee, every village of Judea, and they had more importantly come from Judea, Jerusalem. They'd come from the capital. But Luke records this for the, the important phrase that the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. Jesus' power to heal was, the, was from the Lord God himself. This was not the power of man, but this was the power of the Lord. And what Jesus is about to do then is he's about to heal his paralytic is what God is doing, what God accomplishes through Jesus. So make no say this is the power of Jesus. Jesus has power to do this. We see it in, in his healing. Now we move on um, to the bulk of, the te- of this passage, verse 18 to 20. We see the, Jesus' priority. Again, this, his priority keeps coming out. And some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were trying to bring him in and to set him down in front of him. But not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with his stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. So <clears throat> there are some men who are carrying a paralytic from, for Jesus to heal. A paralytic, of course, was someone who basically completely paralyzed. He could not uh, do, move on their own, <clears throat> and they were completely dependent upon their family and friends. And this one had a, several men, several friends, who had brought him to Jesus. And uh, you could see it, it was a complete paralysis because he was on a stretcher. He could not uh, definitely move his legs. But because of the crowds, you know, because of, there was all these crowds, and it seems like it's taking place in a house, uh, as we'll see from the rest of the story, they could not approach him. They could not get near Jesus. And these men, though, did not give up. The entrance of the home was blocked, they had faith that Jesus could heal their friend, and their friend needed healing, and Jesus was the one. He was the only one who, who could do this. And so they, this faith that they had produced a persistence and so creativity, and they, they decided to climb up to the top of this house 
And the roofs in those days were basically flat, home, flat roofs. They were constructed basically of, of uh, <clears throat> laying down slabs of clay across supporting beams. And then they were sealed with, with like wet clay. And they brought their friend up to the roof. And you imagine just carrying an adult man up on a stretcher up to some stairs or, or steps to the roof. And then they started digging in the roof. They had to break off some of the clay. And, and then to make a hole large enough for the stretcher holding this man to be lowered down into this room where Jesus was teaching. And you can imagine the whole room probably just stopped. Jesus probably pauses in his teaching as this hole is, uh, is starting to appear in the, in the ceiling. And then these men lower Jesus, or lower the, their friend, the paralytic, right in the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. No exchange of words, the scene, but all we have is Jesus' response to the faith of these men. Verse 20, seeing their faith, he said. So he sees the faith, faith of these, four, of these men, the four men, as well as, Jesus, as well as the paralytic himself. He says, friend, your sins are forgiven you. That was probably the most unexpected reply that anyone had at that moment, right? Imagine next time you go to your doctor, okay? Doctor... I'm, uh, I've had this cough for a long time. <laughs> oh, I have this fever. Oh, I've got an ache. I'm, my, actually, my knee's hurting. I need to go see a doctor. My knees are hurting. I probably just need to lose weight. But, <clears throat> and then he says to you, oh, friend, your sins are forgiven. Are you going to pay him or her? No, you're not, right? He's like, no. <laughs> this, so you can imagine these, people, these guys have come to Jesus for healing for their friend. He's paralyzed. Heal him from paralysis, please. No, he says, your sins are forgiven. And what this real, what reveals about Jesus is Jesus understands uh, why they came. Jesus understands this man's condition, but Jesus understands this man's greatest need. He knows what this man needs. He knows what, he doesn't know what this man needs. He knows what all of us here in this room needs. And he says to this man, he offers and gives him what he needs most. And that is, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Though this man was paralyzed, his paralysis would only affect his life on earth. But the man's sin, however, would affect his eternal destiny. So Jesus declares that this man's sin has been forgiven. The word forgive is to, to send away to, or to let go Basically, Jesus, it pictures Jesus sending away this man's sin, remembering it no more. In fact, in the, in the Greek, in the original language, this verb is in the very beginning. Forgiven are your sins. What a powerful word. This man came in paralyzed. But the first thing he hears from Jesus is forgiven. Reminds us of Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. See, Jesus came to forgive sins, and he made it a priority. He so, he, yes, this man came with him for, in light of his circumstances, but Jesus sent him away or gives to him first and foremost what he needs most, and that is forgiveness of sins. 
Now, we see in the last, uh, or Jesus' priority, we see in the last part, Jesus' proof. Jesus' proof, verse 21, 26. <clears throat> so here's the opposition that arises. The scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? This opposition just rises up. It's like, these are like, uh, kind of like first-year seminary students listening to, uh, to sermons, you know. They're like jumping all over. Oh, no, he used the wrong, you know, ver- tense verb there. He's, oh, man, he, he did not make that transition from point one to point two. Oh, blasphemy. Oh, man, give me more exegesis. None of this application stuff. I don't need that. They had that critical spirit. They were not there to learn. They were there to criticize, right? They, they were looking to tear down. But anyways, hopefully that's not any of you guys. Uh, but in this case, they accused Jesus of blasphemy. Blasphemy. They'd heard what he said. They understand what he said. <clears throat> but they say, you are blaspheming. By the way, Old Testament law required that blasphemy, blasphemers would be stoned to death. They were accusing him of, to be guilty of blasphemy. They heard Jesus forgiving this paralytic of his sins. And by the way, he's sterile paralyzed, right? His sins are forgiven, but he's still paralyzed. They knew, they understood that God alone can forgive sins. That, that's uh, taught in the Old Testament. But therefore, Jesus, though he was a man, was making himself therefore equal to God that he would say, friend, your sins are forgiven. The scribes were absolutely right in understanding what Jesus was implying. But they were absolutely wrong in denying the truthfulness of Jesus' claim. They had a choice. Either A, he is, he, he is who he is implying himself to be, or he is not who he is implying to be, that he's not God, and therefore he's blaspheming. Of course, they chose B. He's not God, therefore he, that fact that he says his sins for you, therefore he's blaspheming. But, of course, we know that Jesus is not blaspheming because he is God. He is the Son of God. Not only could he forgive sins, but he also knew exactly what was in their hearts. We see this in verse 22 to 23. By the way, they're not saying this out loud, right? This is the kind of, they're just reasoning, uh, they're reasoning among themselves. But Jesus, verse 22, but Jesus, aware of their reasonings, answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? He knows what they're thinking. Which is, which is easier to say, your sins have been forgiven you, or to say, get up and walk? Jesus challenged them with a question. He knows, he first points out that why are you reasoning, why are you uh, crit- being critical? And he asked, challenge them, which is easier to say, your sins have been forgiven you, or get up and walk? The implication is that it's easier to say your sins are forgiven, right? Because you don't have to prove it. I can say, your sins are forgiven you, I'm you know, do the, make a low motion. And there's no way that you can't prove that your sins are not forgiven. I can't disprove, you can't disprove me. I'm, I have the power to forgive sins. Yeah. <laughs> prove me wrong. But if it is much harder to say, if you're paralyzed, say, get up and walk. You'd actually have to get up and walk. <laughs> I can't, no matter what, I can't produce that. But so Jesus says, which one's harder? Your sins have been forgiven you, or get up and walk. And, that, and so because it was more difficult to say get up and walk, that's exactly what Jesus then does. Verse 24 following, to prove that he can forgive sins. 
but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up and pick up your stretcher and go home. Immediately he got up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And they were all struck with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear, saying, we have seen remarkable things today. Well, to prove that he could forgive sins, Jesus tells him, get up and walk. And that's exactly what the man does. He gets up and walks. He picks up his pallet. He's skipping along the way. He's glorifying God. And so everyone else sees this, and they're glorifying God too. Jesus proves that he can forgive sins by healing this paralytic. And the result is God is glorified. God is glorified. Like the healing of the leper, the, the miracle here of the healing of the paralytic doesn't merely show that Jesus has power over disease. Rather, the healing of the paralytic is again a symbol that Jesus came to earth to forgive those who are helpless like this para, para, paralytic in their sin. Those who cannot do anything about their sin, but Jesus can forgive sins. These two miracles really show us, prove to us both points that are, that are kind of emphasized the text. The first miracle really reminds us that Jesus is willing to cleanse us from our sins. And the second miracle really shows us that Jesus can forgive us of our sins. And that's wonderful encouragement to all of us. And if you're here and, and maybe you, you come and you've sought, you come here to seek after Jesus for something, or you, you come to church looking for something, and God used that something to bring you here. And we thank God for that. We, but before you leave today, I hope you understand that Jesus understands what is your greatest need. And though it may be, you may feel the, the, the aches of broken relationships, Though you may feel the, the yearnings of things that you are lacking in life, though you are sensing the, the, a, a loneliness or a need for, for, for friendships or, or people in your life, Jesus understands that your greatest need is because of sin. And because of that sin, it's caused a broken relationship between you and God. But Jesus was sent here by God to die for your sins so that you, when you place your trust in him, can be forgiven of your sins. This is why Jesus came. And you may wonder, but is Jesus willing to forgive me of our sins? Yes, Jesus says, I am willing. And you may be wondering, can Jesus Forgive me of my sins. I've, I've done terrible things. Yes, Jesus can forgive your sins. He is both willing and he and can forgive your sins. And for those of us here who have already put our trust in Jesus Christ, we remember this. And this is, the, this is what we came to understand and believe about Jesus. And we, as we, God gives us the opportunity to go into our world, we need to bring this message. The kingdom of God is not about politics. The kingdom of God is not about maybe just pure moral living. The kingdom of God is not about the connections we can make. The kingdom of God is not just being away from sinners. 
The kingdom of God is about this pro- proclamation of a message to a world that is under the curse of sin. And all of us are broken because of it. Not a single one of us here that is not broken by sin in some way. And from some, a good number of us in many ways. We just need to live in the world a little bit more. We, sometimes we live in the church too long, we forget how much sin breaks, our, breaks mankind. But we have the joy of knowing that Jesus came to forgive us of our sins. Let's go out in the world and tell people that Jesus came to forgive us our sins, and he's willing, and he can forgive you of your sins, too. Let's go do that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for uh, this time looking in these miracles and pray that you would cause us to just be, to worship Jesus because of his power, not only to heal diseases, which he can, but the power of Jesus to forgive sins, because, Lord, that's why he came. Thank you, Father, for sending your son. Thank you for giving us this revelation, this truth that we've opened our eyes to. And we pray that you would cause us to be faithful to bring this message to the others in this world. Whatever you, whatever you may be using to draw people to yourself, all the circumstances of their lives, Lord, help us to be faithful, to point to people that the reason why you are bringing them to, to yourself is so that they may be forgiven of their sins. And we who are, who are like the leper, we who are like the paralytic, well, we praise you. Because, Lord, where we were dead and helpless in our sins, you made a way through your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we glorify you. We praise you. We are in awe of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.